right, well, today we are continuing in our series, Chosen. Every one of us have been chosen by God. There's no one that we lock eyes with uh, that does not matter immensely to the Father. And if they matter to him, they ought to matter to us. And we ought to, we ought to recognize within ourselves that we have value and we have worth, not because of any identity that we have achieved here on the earth, not because of our wealth, not because of the family that we're born into, not because of our academic achievements or the job that we hold. Our truest identity is who we are in Jesus Christ. And the fact that God the Father chose you demonstrated his own love for you, not once you got good enough or smart enough, knew enough about the Bible, not once you had already repented enough. No, he took the first step. While we were still sinners, God demonstrated his love for us and that Christ came and died for you and for me. That's incredible love. We are all chosen. Last week we looked at how God even chooses his own enemies He chose Saul, whose name eventually became Paul, to be not only saved, but to be an apostle in his his church, a leader in his kingdom, the author of the majority of the New Testament after the the Gospels. And God has chosen the person we're going to look at today as well, and that is Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, a wee little man was he. Luke chapter 19. When repentant... When fully surrendered, God transforms the selfish. Imagine two high school rivals, or college rivals perhaps, IU and Purdue maybe. And one of the schools is being taxed to pay for the opposing school's sports uniforms. Every time a student walks into the commons, they have to pay a dollar. Imagine how angry students would be if every time they walked through the commons of their own school, they had to pay a dollar to buy uniforms for the other school. That wouldn't go over very well uh, for the Boilermakers to be buying IU's uniforms or for the Hoosiers to be buying Purdue's uniforms. There would be a, a very strong animosity if they were being taxed in that regard. Now imagine that the person collecting the dollar bills happens to be one of that particular school's own students. Then imagine that this little weasel is keeping a quarter for every dollar that he takes in, and he's getting rich doing so. To make it worse, he's driving a 2020 Ford Mustang, Shelby GT350, cherry red. Parked diagonally in the parking lot. This was Zacchaeus. The story of Zacchaeus comes on the heels of the story of the rich young ruler from Luke chapter 18. In fact, here in chapter 19, it almost seems like the whole story of of one is to perhaps prepare us for the story of, of the other. In Luke chapter 18, a rich young ruler asked Jesus what it takes to enter the kingdom of God. And this rich young ruler called Jesus good teacher. And Jesus said, good? (laughs) No one's good except God alone. In other words, are you implying that I'm God? And I believe that this young rich uh, ruler was being sincere. What does it take to become one of your followers, to be a subject in your kingdom, Jesus? And Jesus reminded him of the the commandments. You know what the commandments say. And he begins naming them off. And the man very boastfully says, oh, I've kept all of those since I was a kid. (laughs) Jesus said, well, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have, 
and give it to the poor. Then come follow me. And the man walked away sad. And we're told it's because he was very rich. Jesus went on to say in Luke 18, verses 24 through 27, he says, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, Well, then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. You flip over to Luke 19. In this next chapter, we get to see that perfect example of this. Jesus said it was difficult. He didn't say it was impossible. Jesus transforms the selfish when the selfish are repentant. We could go through the Bible, Old and New Testament alike, and we could find some of the most godly examples where people who were successful, people who were intelligent, people who were wealthy, and yet God was able to use them because that wasn't the one thing standing between them and God. Last week I kind of... um, talked about that a little bit, about if you've got one thing, if you say, do I have to give up this in order to become a follower of God, then probably the answer is yes, whatever this is. Or else you wouldn't be asking about, do I have to give up this? Or do I have to start doing such and such in order to be a follower of God? The answer is probably yes, whatever such and such we're talking about, because that's the one thing you're not willing to do, then that's the one thing that's on the throne of God in your heart, and you're not fully surrendered. And that was the case with the rich young ruler. Jesus says it's possible. He doesn't doesn't say it's impossible, but he also says it's very difficult. He gives an exaggeration, which I understand would have been a great source of humor in his day. (laughs) The image of a giant camel, awkward, stubborn, (laughs) fitting through the eye of a needle. Now, I intentionally changed the title of the message, From Greedy to Selfish. Originally, I had it, uh, God Transforms the Greedy. And the reason I changed it to selfish is because wealth isn't the only thing that a self-centered person can cling to. We can be selfish with our time. We can be selfish with our serving and with whom we are willing to serve. We can be selfish with our emotional support. We can even be selfish with our faith. So this morning's message applies to all of us. You may be thinking, well, I can tune out on this. I've heard the story of Zacchaeus, the wee little man was he since I was a kid, and I'm not a wealthy person, and I'm not greedy, so I'll just tune out. No, don't tune out, because there's a possibility that there is some self-centeredness, some selfishness in each one of us, and we need to kind of examine and find out, God, I, you know, reveal that to me, whatever that is, and we need to eradicate that selfishness. Because God can transform our hearts if we submit and we surrender to him. So are you the rich young ruler of chapter 18 who walks away sadly? Or are you Zacchaeus who climbs down the sycamore tree and runs to the Savior? Self-centered behavior must be sacrificed in order to truly follow Jesus. It's not an option. We can't go through and kind of, uh, you know, define what Christianity looks like. We can't go through and just kind of take a, a, an opinion poll on what's right and what's wrong and how we should conduct ourselves. No, the Bible's pretty clear on things. And self-centeredness or pride or egotism always goes before a fall, and it always puts us in opposition to God. The first thing that we need to do 
is passionately desire Jesus. Passionately desire him. Luke 19, 1 through 3 reads this way. It says that Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. Jesus demonstrated that he, he came to call sinners to repentance. And there are all kinds of examples of that in, in the scriptures. In, in Luke 15, three, four chapters back, we have the, the story of not one, not two, but three things that were lost, that were of great value. And Jesus talked about the all-out search that goes into looking for those things which are lost. Whether it's a lost sheep, a lost lamb of one of a hundred. And if a shepherd has 99 safely in the fold, he's not content knowing one is lost. And he is willing to leave the 99 and the safety of the fold there and go out and search and not stop searching until he has found that sheep. And when he finds it, he picks that lamb up and throws it over his shoulders and safely carries it back and puts it in the fold. The next story comes and you've got the lady who's lost a coin and she is desperately searching. And she calls all of her lady friends, come help me look for this. And they tear the house apart and they sweep the floor and you just picture, you know, dust is this, have you ever frantically looked for something that was lost, whether it was a, a stone out of a ring that had belonged to a grandparent and you desperately searched for it and you, and you just you, you can't stop thinking about it and you're, you're obsessed with finding this thing which is lost. And it says that when she finds that, she calls all of her lady friends together and throws a big party because that which was lost is found. The third thing is the, the father of the, pro, the so-called prodigal son, the younger of the two sons who asked for his inheritance early. He goes off into the far country, kind of a, of a Las Vegas of its time, and he, he, he just plunders that money on loose living. And I mean, there's you know, big tips here and there and buying the fanciest of food and, 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 and li uh, living a lifestyle that was against God. And when it was all gone, and he was poor and hungry and wishing he could at least have the pods that the pigs were eating. I mean, that's about as low as it gets. He goes, I know what I'll do. I'll go home and I'll tell my father, I don't know what I was thinking. Please forgive me. I, I, just make me like one of your hired hands. And I'll work like the other, uh, you know, of your employees. And you can just pay me. And that way I won't starve to death. And I'll tell my father, you, have you ever rehearsed a story over and over and over again in your mind? What you're going to tell your father when you, when you get home? <laughs> I, I picture that kind of going on. When this boy returns, his father is gazing over the horizon and from a great distance away, he sees that small figure coming. Could it be? Oh, could it be? And the father's love, the heart begins to pound. That is, that's my son. And he doesn't wait for him to get to him, but he runs to him. 
So the only time God ran is when he ran to me. He runs to him, and he throws his arms around him, and he immediately orders, kill the fattened calf we've been saving. It's time for a party, a celebration. This son of mine that was lost has been found. He was dead, but he's alive, and there's restoration, and he's excited about it. Let's have a party. And that's incredible. That's incredible love. That which is lost matters immensely to the Father. It warrants an all-out search. And when that which is lost is found, it is cause for a great celebration. I am so thankful that here at Dover Christian Church, when the waters of the baptistry are stirred and someone gives their life to Christ and confesses faith in Him and repents of their former way of life and is going to die to themselves and live for Him, that when they are baptized and they come up out of the water, I'm so glad that children flood the front here and that there's an applause. Because all of heaven's applauding... (laughs) Why wouldn't we? Zacchaeus passionately desired to see Jesus. Jesus, as he was passing through Jericho, this was a big deal. I'm currently listening uh, to a book, an audio book called uh, 8030. It's a fiction book based on what it would be like to be alive during the time of Jesus And it's about a lady, and she's kind of come to town. She's interested a little bit in the Jewish faith, and she has a Jewish friend who's been a a good protector of her and is leading her through. And she's been hearing about Yeshua, Jesus, and she can't wait to meet him. She's heard he's a mystic and that he can teach like no other. And when he looks you in the eyes, he can kind of see through you, and she can't wait to meet him. She desires to know more. Zacchaeus desired to know more. Do you want to know Jesus more? When you remove that self-centeredness, when you focus on Jesus, you want to get to know him more. You want to get into the word. You want to be in a growth group. You want to attend youth group. You want to have Christian friends. You want to listen to praise music on the radio because you want to be more like him and you want to know him and you begin to desire him. Do you desire to know Jesus more? I think about the paralyzed man in the Gospel of Mark, I think is my favorite of the accounts where this man knows that if he can just get to Jesus, he can be healed. But the house where Jesus is speaking is packed. I mean, it's packed. Jesus is famous at this point. And everywhere he goes, even if he tries to secretly arrive, people arrive ahead of him. And I mean, it's it's standing room only. I heard the other day, uh, you know, Elton John's in town, and I forget, like $450 is what we heard for standing room only tickets (laughs) to get to see him sing. They didn't know exactly who Jesus was or what he was about, but everybody desired to be around him. And I think about how much the guy in the Gospel of Mark wanted to be near Jesus, that he had friends that carried him on a mat, took him up on top of the roof, pulled back the layers of the thatch on the top of that roof and lowered him down in the midst of where Jesus is. Everything about this story is is awkwardly beautiful, (laughs) desperately trying to get near him. And that leads us to this, this next point, to go from passionately desiring Jesus to radically seeking him. How badly do you want to know him? How much do you want him to be the number one priority in your heart. Radically seek Jesus. 
Because he was short, this is what Zacchaeus did. It says in verse 4, He ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree so that he could see him, for he was about to pass that way. Can't you see little Zacchaeus? I mean, he is a wealthy leader in charge of a tax collecting business. He's the chief tax collector. And he climbs up in this sycamore tree because the people are all crowded around him and he doesn't want to miss getting to see this Yeshua that he's heard so much about. And so he's willing to climb up to this tree to radically seek Jesus. There's a difference between desiring to seek him and actually seeking him. To go from desiring Jesus to seeking Jesus. A lot of people desire faith in Jesus. A lot of people like the idea of heaven. Almost everyone who passes away in secular society, regardless of whether or not they ever expressed faith in Christ or bore the fruits of the Spirit, is seen as automatically living with the man upstairs. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> Doesn't seem, and I'm not passing judgment, but it just seems like everybody, as soon as somebody passes away, immediately people begin to imagine them in heaven, regardless of whether or not they had a saving relationship with Christ. And it's somehow floating from cloud to cloud and watching over us. People will say, you know, our neighbor, Mr. Smith, is in heaven watching over us. And I know he is because I saw a butterfly land on the rose bush that he planted for us yesterday. <laughs> and I think, hmm, <laughs> that's interesting. <laughs> Everybody wants to be a person of faith, but very few are serious enough about it to go from desiring to actually seeking Jesus. There were physical limitations on Zacchaeus. He didn't choose to be short. He was just blessed that way. <clears throat> he was, in fact, unpopular among his peers, no doubt. And he probably didn't have a lot of welcome huddles saying, Oh, here's Zacchaeus, you get in front of us since you're so vertically challenged. <laughs> so you can see the teacher as he comes through. No, nobody would have been looking out for Zacchaeus. And... This didn't prevent Zacchaeus from radically doing whatever it took to see Jesus. Imagine how undignified it must have been for him to climb up in that sycamore tree. And Jesus coming through town would have created no small stir. Everyone wanted to see Jesus. And Zacchaeus did not want to miss his chance. And he did whatever it took. What prevents you from seeing Jesus? I'm not talking about with your physical eyes but your spiritual ones. Someone has said that Satan doesn't have to make us bad to turn us away from Jesus. All he has to do is make us busy. Maybe it's your schedule. Maybe you're so busy serving Jesus that you don't have time to really get to know him. Maybe for you it's, it's a hobby. And that hobby comes before quiet time and devotion. I mean, it's, it's easy for me to see it in my own life. You know, I'll be maybe on the way to work, and I think to myself, when I get to the office, first thing I'm going to do, I'm going to open the Bible, and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to have my, my devotion, my quiet time, and, but I turn on the computer first, right? And when the computer comes up, there's emails. Well, there's an email from so-and-so. Oh, I wonder what they said. And you open it up, and you start answering that email, and then you answer another email, and then there's a phone call. Another, and before long, you know, lunch has come and gone, and before you know it, it's time to go home, and the Bible's on the edge of the desk and was never cracked open. Is he first? Or does he get 
the leftovers. Maybe for you, the radical seeking of Jesus means that you need to limit the amount of time on that smartphone that may not be so smart. (laughs) Maybe for you, it's what Jesus thinks more than it's what all the people on social media think that needs to be eradicated. Now, this is going to step on toes, but I... I'm concerned about the erosion of the sacredness of Sunday, formerly known as the Lord's Day. (laughs) Well, Chick-fil-A, man, I mean to tell you what, they have proven that you can be very successful and make as much in six days as you can in seven. Sunday used to be sacred even among unbelievers. Uh, If not used for the Lord, it was at least seen as one day a week of rest, one day a week for family and to reconnect and to, to get to know each other. People could kind of regroup and get ready for the rest of the week. Saturday and Sunday are back-to-back, you know. We call it the weekend because of that. But really, they're one's at the beginning of the week and the other one's at the far end of the week. And Saturday is kind of that day off, that day of rest, the day to get some chores done around the house, to run the errands. Really, Sunday, if you think about it, it's the first day of the week. This is actually the first work day of the week. We just take it off for the purpose of worshiping the Lord. <laughs> to get the week started off right. But it has gotten filled with so many things that even Sunday is not a day that you can count on to be available for the Lord. And i got to tell you, there is no chance of an eighth day getting added to the week. (laughs) And if there was, we'd fill that too. (laughs) And then a ninth day and so forth. Country singer Tracy Lawrence used to sing a song, If the world had a front porch like we did back then, we'd still have our problems, but we'd all be friends. We kind of need that front porch living, don't we? A little lemonade, (laughs) a little tea, sweet or unsweet, (laughs) rocking chair or two, reconnect with neighbors. The next thing that we see Zacchaeus do, he, he goes from passionately desiring Jesus to radically seeking him to next joyfully receiving him. Verses 5 and 6 says this, And when Jesus came to that place, the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And so he hurried, he came down, and he received Jesus joyfully. The name Zacchaeus means pure or righteous. (laughs) He had a name all along that described someone who would joyfully receive the Lord and follow him, he was just a little late to the party. The word uh, architelones means the chief tax collector. It's the only time this word ever appears in the New Testament. Zacchaeus was a big little man. (laughs) He's a big shot, but a little man. He was... He was the head of the Jericho ERS, the External Revenue Service. (laughs) But he joyfully received the Lord. When Jesus made eye contact with him, what was that moment like? Can you imagine? You're Zacchaeus, you're up in this tree. You know the kind of life you've lived. You have been pocketing all this money. You've been getting wealthy off of your own people. And, and you've not been you know, living according to the commandments. And, and now here comes this great teacher. You'd, you've heard enough about him, apparently, that you, 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 want, you want to connect with him when he comes. And Jesus looks up to him and says, Zacchaeus, you come down quickly from that tree. I must stay at your house today. 
Verse 1 says I'm just, he was just passing through Jericho. <laughs> but Jesus takes the time. I must come to your house today. I must stay with you. And Zacchaeus joyfully runs to him. And finally, completely follow Jesus. Salvation is not just fire insurance, a one-time quick decision where you get a certificate and get your picture taken and maybe you have a party kind of thing, a rite of passage, just kind of a perfunctory exercise. When you're born again into Christ, not only are you a new person, but the old person has died and you need to leave that old person uh, behind in the spiritual graveyard. Listen to what it says, Luke 19, 7 through 10. It says, when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. <clears throat> Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Jesus said to him, in the presence of everyone, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. As a result of Jesus' visit in Zacchaeus' home, Zacchaeus became a follower of the Lord, and he repented of his sins. I mean, right away, he wants to do good. I mean, you see the transformation of his heart. And suddenly we find that the, joyous, the most joyful things come when we do what God has called us to do. And he wants to give half of his resources away to the poor. That's pretty radical. I mean, that's like Barnabas of the book of Acts kind of radical. He wants to be completely surrendered. Hey, look, I used to take and take and take and take. It's gotten me nowhere. I am, I'm miserable. I'm unacceptable among all my peers. Now I am transformed. I'm becoming like Christ. I want to give, give, give. And there is greater joy in giving and seeing the recipients of your giving have their lives changed because of it. And I think the reason that it feels that way, the reason God has given us that emotion, is because it makes us the most like him. We connect with him in that way. He's allowing us to be an extension. Here, you go give it to them. That's why I made it possible for you to have it. Now go share it. Be others-centered, not self-centered. It's a pretty incredible thing. But beyond just generosity is that he wants to right his wrongs. Uh, he wanted to right his wrongs. He's immediately saying, I will give four times what I have taken. That was the maximum penalty of the law. In fact, I believe it was for times in which when that which was taken could not be repaid, you, you repaid four times. So like, for instance, if he had stolen someone's grandma's antique watch and sold it on the market and it was gone, he should give four times its value back to the owner. And he's saying, don't, don't even have a trial. <laughs> I'll just automatically do it. And, and the word if there doesn't really mean, hey, if, if it happens to be or if you find out or if it's proven, then I'll do this. No, it, it, it would better be translated since. Since I have done this, then I would, I'd like to give back four times automatically. That's a transformed heart. How's your heart this morning? Have you experienced all of those things? Have you passionately desired the Lord? Have you radically sought him? Is there room in your life for him? Have you joyfully received the Lord? Are you completely following him? 
Maybe today is, is a day when each one of us needs to examine ourselves and say, am I self-centered in some way? Whether it's with finances or serving or, or any other way, have I been so focused on myself that I'm miserable and I need to start focusing on others and find that true joy that only comes in the Lord? If that's you today, I implore you, run down the sycamore tree and embrace the Savior. I mean, you may have found a church to belong to, a religion to follow. You may be born into a long line of, of Christians. But do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, or has it all been tradition? Because it's time to get serious about it. It's time to be radical about it. It's time to move down the sycamore tree and run to the Lord. Because if we do, he will transform the selfish. But you have to be willing to sacrifice self-centeredness. I know it sounds cliche, but like they say, it starts with admitting that we are self-centered before we ever are willing to scurry down that tree and run to the Savior. I think everyone ought to go on a short-term missions trip or more. Um, by the way, uh, I believe Michelle Timmons has the dates lined up for uh, her upcoming trip uh, to uh, uh, Ethiopia, Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, Africa, uh, for hope for his children. And you can see her for more information about that. I know Shauna and Julia have been talking about uh, the student ministry, 6th through 12th graders, and a trip this summer uh, to Shiloh Christian Children's Ranch. There is something powerful that takes place on the mission field. Not just what we give and do, but honestly... The selflessness in the moment, the Lord does more in your life than you could ever possibly do for others. My first missions trip did not come until I was in full-time ministry for over nine years. And it was to southeast um, India. Chennai was the name of the, of the area. And I loved everything about it. I love, I'm a cultural, I love culture. Love the food, love the uh, everything. The style, the music, the everything. I, mean, I just can't get enough of it. I love people. I'm an extrovert. I love meeting more people. People in the airport. Sometimes people in customs. <laughs> people, oh, I just found out who's been on short-term missions trips. <laughs> uh, uh, I love all of that. But the thing that impacted me the most was the selflessness of the people in the village where we visited. Um, it, it was amazing. Um, strangers would motion for you. We didn't speak the language. They'd say, come on in here. You know, basically what they were saying, come on, no, come on. And you'd come in, and, and there they would have, they called it tea, we'd call it probably cappuccino, prepared for you to drink. Uh, always giving you the prime spot. Because a visitor was in the village, and they treated you so kindly with such incredible hospitality. One boy that we had kind of ministered to all week that really wasn't part of the boys' home that was associated with the ministry, he just happened to live in the community, had shown me a rose on his mother's rose bush. Oh, it's beautiful. I said, oh, very pretty, you know. And, uh, and he smiled, and, and then he tapped me on the shoulder, and I turned around. This was like our last day, and he was holding the rose, <laughs> to give to me the only rose on the bush the last rose and my first thought was oh my goodness your mom's going to kill you <laughs> 
<laughs> like, I almost didn't want to be associated with the rose. I thank you, but, you know, <laughs> I don't want the evidence on me. And all of a sudden, here comes his mom with some water, with something for me to put the rose in. Just as hospitable as he. We, one of the things we had done that week was we dedicated the doctor's quarters uh, for the hospital there. It was brand new. It had never been lived in. And we had comfortable beds that we slept on all week. And we did not know till we visited the boys' home and they had been sleeping on concrete all week. And someone said, you know what? The beds I just learned for the doctor's home have not come in yet. The beds we have are the boys' beds. They've been sleeping on concrete all week so we could sleep on their beds. You know, waterworks, just, you know. When you're tired and you're that far from home, I mean, you know, God's got your attention. You're like, that's selflessness. And they were so excited we were there. You would have thought we were NBA stars or Elton John or Elvis Presley or whoever. I mean, just we're, I'm like, I'm just a man, you know. But, I mean, they were so excited to see these adults that had come to their village to pour into them for a week. And they slept on the concrete and were glad we were there. <laughs> and I thought, ooh, Lord, you've got a lot of work to do on my heart to get me to that point of selflessness. Are you ready to do some radical seeking of the Lord today that he might put that kind of love uh, in your heart? A good thing about God is he's a gracious father. Oh, he is such a gracious father. I saw something on Facebook last week that said, religion says, "Uh uh-oh, I messed up, my dad's going to kill me. (laughs) The gospel says, "Uh uh-oh, I messed up, I better call my dad. (laughs) Maybe today's the day you need to call your heavenly father and you need to run to him. Pray with me. Father God, I thank you for your amazing love. God, I thank you for your transformation of our hearts to take us from self-centeredness, God, to an other's kind of mindset that we might become more like you in the way that you demonstrated servitude and uh, humble generosity. God, I pray that for each of us today, we'll have our encounter with you, our moment with you, that, God, you would clean house in our heart and create in us a clean heart, remove our stony, stubborn hearts and and replace them, God, with ones that are like yours. God, I pray for us as a congregation that not just individually but collectively we would be a church, God, that would, uh, would not only know that we are chosen and loved, but, God, that we would want others to know that they are chosen and loved and that it would become a contagious kind of thing that would spread throughout our community, connecting people to your Son. And, God, I thank you for the opportunities that we have to serve, uh, Lord, through, uh, through Love, Inc. and, and uh, the Living Hope opportunities. And, and uh, Father, God, I, I thank you for the opportunity that we have tonight Lord, to shine uh, in the Thorntown community through Trunk or Treat. God, I pray that uh, dozens and dozens of children will, will see that there is a church in this community that loves children and loves families and wants them to come and experience things far more deeper than just free candy on a Sunday night. But God, that there's some substance behind it. That God, we've found the Savior. God, we have found the one who was looking for us when we started looking for him. God, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.